everybody. Glad you could join us here on Bills by the Numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. We're presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, which NFL team, in the opinion of those who work in the NFL, is the most analytically advanced? And where are the Bills in that conversation? Who is killing it on fourth down, and does it mean much? And we catch up with ESPN Jets reporter Rich Semini. Let's get it moving! We begin by looking at an area of the game where there is still wide-ranging variance between clubs. Analytics. Some are all in on it, investing a lot of resources, hiring a large staff of analysts, and applying it to everything from scouting to the draft to game day decisions. Other clubs make it a piece of of what their weekly process is, but do not trust it in the same fashion as other clubs since at its core... It is not predictive. So, Steve, if you were a head coach today, how much might you invest and utilize the analytical data that is at the fingertips of NFL clubs these days? I think you owe it to your club to make use of them, no question about it. Given yourself, give yourself win probabilities. Um, if you can go for it and get this third down, your probability raises by a bunch of percentages. You've got to keep track of that stuff. And also, but I think the – the thing that's hard for analytics to make the to bridge the gap into is the fact that a team like Buffalo, who have got a guy like Josh Allen, or a team like Baltimore, who has a guy like Lamar Jackson, who can throw it or pass it, it puts an extra bit of stress on the defense. And I know you know you take your own individual team statistics for going for it and not going for it. But the quality of the defense you're playing means something, and the ebb and flow of the game means something, particularly me as an ex-player. I was always sensitive to momentum, which a lot of people think is this phantom thing, but I think is a real thing. So you got to have your finger on the pulse of that. But by the same token, a good head coach, even when the momentum's against you, even when things aren't going well and you feel like it's time to use the analytics and do something out of the ordinary, I'd go for it on a fourth and – three or fourth and five, you have to be a head coach that can bring your team around you and make them believe. Right. If you've got that, analytics will never quantify that. Yeah, how you – I think it has to be utilized, no question about it. The the game and where it's going, I think, almost mandates that if you can analyze it, in a mathematical way to help you make better decisions, it behooves you to do that as a head coach. In whatever capacity you choose to make use of it, I I think we're at a point now in this league where it is so hard to find even the most incremental advantage for your team that if analytics can help provide you with some of those incremental advantages that other teams are not taking advantage of, to do right by your team, you use it in whatever way that your staff can tell you this will help you here, here, and here on a game day, in a draft, uh, in free agency. This will help you hit on more players in the draft because it tells you something that maybe there's a quality that you don't like in a prospect, and this better zeroes in on what that quality will give you or not give you in a prospect 
going forward in their career. Or this injury historically means this for a player's longevity. And if they have it in their past, this might be a guy that you grade a little bit lower than that guy. Right. And because he's more likely to get to his second contract because of A, B, and C. There are so many different layers to it. And I think a lot of teams are still learning how to most effectively apply a lot of this information, and a lot of it is and there's, trial and error. And, of course, it's all the variables that go into each equation <clears throat> and each probability, and teams are becoming more adept. Each team is individual, a little bit individual, in, in the, amount of variab- the amount of variables they feel like they can quantify and throw into the mix. And, some of, and it changes the outcome because analytics, it's, it's questions you ask a computer and there's so many variables, can you make sense of it, uh, to put it you know, in layman's yeah. terms. The better your equation is going in, the better your answers are coming out and teams are getting better and better at knowing exactly the things that they can add into the analytics stew that gives them a better taste when it comes to And a out. lot of, and I mean, how far have we come? I think in the last 10 years, you've gone from data that's kind of mulled over during the week to live in-game answers for head coaches from guys up in the coaches booth telling them, right now on this play, you can improve your win probability by doing A as opposed to B. It's up to you while the play clock's running. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it, that's how advanced we've gotten probably yeah. in the last decade, and it makes a huge difference for coaches, at least the coaches that use it. So right. it's interesting. ESPN.com put up their annual report on how invested NFL clubs are in analytics on the football side of the house. This data is largely opinion-based from those who work in the league. So we just wanted to make you understand this is somewhat subjective. ESPN surveyed staffers from 10 of 21 teams, analytics staffers. They had 21 respondents, and the bills stacked up very favorably. When asked which NFL team is the most analytically advanced, the bills were tied for fourth in that category with Atlanta, Houston, and Minnesota. Which team incorporates analytics into their decision-making? The bills ranked in a tie for fifth with Arizona, Atlanta, the L.A. Chargers, and Minnesota. And then when asked which teams are among the five most analytically inclined, the Bills got the fourth most votes behind only Baltimore, Cleveland, and Philadelphia. How encouraging is it, Steve, to know that those in the league who work in this area believe the Bills rank favorably in the analytics category? Well, it's comforting to know the Bills are hitting it on all cylinders, um, at least to some extent, but you're right. This is a subjective kind of poll. Um, You want to feel like your your team has at least – access to top-flight analytics if they so desire to use them. Um, You've seen, you know, I I think you've seen hints that the Bills use that a great deal, particularly as these games wear on and the Bills' ability to hang on to leads in in this season. You go back to games like – like the Pittsburgh game and like the Green Bay game, games where the Bills want to hang on to a lead – and their defensive philosophy changed, and certainly teams have been doing this for a long time without analytics. But the way they call their defense and the way the game proceeds tends to the personality of the entire game changes deep in the second half when the Bills begin to see the end of the possession chart coming. Uh, we're even if we kneel down on all of our possessions, they're going to have this much time left to score what they need to score 
to beat us. They can't do it. Let's go. And so all you really, you know, every first yeah. down changes the analytics and it gets further and further away from that team winning. And the it gets easier and easier for the Bills to just squeeze the life out of them. The, the New England game this last week is a great example, the Thursday mm-hmm. night game. They, they just, just strang- choked the game they out. Choked the game away. Um, the, they choked the life out of the, out of the opportunities that New England Patriots had to win that game. You could feel it. Um, that's what analytics to me look like in a game in that in that situation. Yeah, and I will say, since Sean McDermott became the head coach, the analytics department has expanded considerably. Uh, you know, it was a department that existed, but I don't think it was always applied in the most effective way across the football department. I'm not just talking game day decisions. I'm talking the draft, free agency, um, player longevity, player health, you know, preventative maintenance, those kinds of things. And so I think now in year six of the McDermott era, it is like a well-oiled machine. And I would like to, I don't know this, but I would like to think knowing Coach McDermott is a person that doesn't like to leave any stone unturned, that they are still looking for or they press the analytics department to look for further advances in their area to, again, create any possible edge that they can come up with on a game day, in a draft, in the free agency process, in the scouting process, whatever the case might be. The top team um, almost across the board, Steve, for analytic advancement of their franchise in this survey, the Cleveland Browns. They ranked first in most analytically advanced First in highest level of analytics work. First in incorporating analytics into their decision-making. And yet the Browns chose to sign a quarterback with major off-the-field questions to a fully guaranteed contract after picking the wrong quarterback in the talent-rich 2018 draft class and have one playoff berth to show for it in the last 20 years. How much do you think their analytics are responsible for those kinds of shortcomings? We hear all the time how analytics makes you better, how responsible are analytics for those shortcomings? Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because um, analytics don't really go too deep into the human psyche, and that's what really makes these co- these players different than ever other guys. You've got a guy with fewer gifts, uh, the over the quint finger quotes overachievers. Those guys always get the most out of what they've got. Yeah. The the real quest is when you find a guy who's really physically gifted who is also mentally an overachiever. Um, gifted guys who work hard at it and who have a chip on their shoulder and and who, you know, advance themselves further and further into their career because of their hard work. Forget about the gifts. Uh, it's hard to do that when you've got a guy who went to a small college, Division three college, hard to get, a, you know, hard to get hard answers on that. So, yeah, I, <clears throat> I there's no question – on a number of occasions, the Browns have failed in their decision-making, and some pretty major decision-making. I don't know how you – I don't think you can lay that at the feet ultimately of analytics. Oh, not solely at the feet of analytics. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see analytics do a report on themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. how effective were they in making these decisions – to push them to a decision to draft Baker Mayfield or to sign Deshaun Watson, how how <clears throat> and, and there are how other invested too. was the analytics department in that decision? Ultimately, maybe they were only playing a minor role 
to cross some T's and dot some I's. Maybe it was a major part of the decision-making. If they're the most heavily invested in analytics, logic says it was some part of the decision to draft Baker They're, Mayfield. It was some part of the decision yes. to sign Deshaun, trade for Deshaun Watson, and then sign him to a fully guaranteed contract. The problem is this. Those decisions are based on other decisions that you've already made. For instance, who your GM is, who your head coach is, what they want in their quarterback, what they're looking for as a franchise, the kind of team they think you can field with the roster that's already in place. All those things go into that mix. And it comes down to whether the analytics for the Browns may have 100% pointed towards Josh Allen. And they might have said, that ain't our guy. He's not accurate enough. He's too many question yeah, the marks. The analytics may have steered them from him, uh, you know, or the analytics may have steered him towards Lamar Jackson, and yeah. they might have said the same thing. Yeah, we don't want a running quarterback. We don't want a guy that we're going to have to change more of our roster to get around, like like Baltimore was willing to do with their guy, and all of a sudden he's an MVP. That that comes down to the people at the top of the organization, GM, head coach, owner, making decisions with the information the analytics give them, but with their own biases and desires on the table as well. Yeah, but at the same time, I think if you use analytics in a vacuum, that's a dangerous game to play. And maybe Josh Allen is the best example of all of them. Because the analytics and the numbers will tell you inaccurate quarterback, 56% completion percentage in college, But as Brandon Bean astutely pointed out, if you watch every snap, every snap of Josh Allen's college tape, you will see the reason, one of the big reasons why he was a 56% completion passer in his career in college is because he was making a lot of low percentage throws deep down the field, trying to come bring his team back from a deficit in an awful lot of games. His offense was calling for an outlet pass on the wide side of the field, 12 yards deep, you know, 40 yards away. Nobody makes that throw except Josh Allen. That's his outlet. Right. So it's hard. If every college quarterback was throwing 20-yard outs from the far hash to try to make a play to bring their team back in a game because their team wasn't good enough to be ahead in the first place – and <laughs> and you're playing with guys your last year in, in college, none of whom are getting drafted like you are. That's going to affect the guy's completion percentage. Does analytics account for that? Not always. Not yeah, always. It's, so it's not a perfect model. And so I, I think the Bills have done a very good job of using analytics as a tool while not letting it tip the scales and be the end-all, be-all in some of the decision-making. Otherwise, Josh Allen's not here either. He's not in Cleveland, but he's not here either. It's impossible It's impossible to quantify the human heart and the human mind and how it changes. And the human being, these guys are... It, we're animals that can change forever with one decision. Right. That's something you can't put into analytics right and and as important as analytics are because they have their place in this game and it's not they're not going anywhere right. i think that's safe to say sure. i come back to what brandon bean and sean mcdermott and brian dable and joe shane who were on the staff at the time josh was drafted all said they all go out to meet with him spend a day or two with him out in laramie wyoming mm-hmm. 
and they, to a man, they all say, we were sold on the person that Josh Allen is. That is what ultimately sold us on Josh Allen. You had the physical tools. The stats may not be great. The person, the natural leader, the dork that he is, you know, (laughs) as a human being. Right. You know, just the goofy guy. Yeah. Yeah. But he sold them. The level of intelligence. Right. The commitment. All of that stuff. The desire to be great. The natural leadership skills. That's what sold them ultimately on Josh Allen. I don't know if there's an analytical tool to measure that stuff. Right. So, yeah. That, I mean, so that, it's, I think that's, that should serve notice that analytics have their place, but ultimately there are some human elements to this game that cannot be quantified, that have to be assessed, evaluated, and measured by a general manager, a college scouting director, whoever you're relying upon to help you make the best draft decisions to fortify your roster with winners. Right. Winners, guys that want to win. We only know minor details of how the Bills incorporate analytics into their game day decisions. We know they have people on staff like Dennis Locke and Mark Lubick helping Coach McDermott from the booth with win probability decisions in real time. We know there are analytics incorporated into their draft process. How layered and detailed it is, we don't know. And that's on purpose because if there are some elements of analytics that the Bills believe they use that others don't, the last thing they want are those processes being shared. But based on our limited knowledge of Buffalo's usage of analytics, what's your general feel on these survey results and what we've observed on game days about Buffalo's incorporation of quantitative analysis? The, the only thing you can really say is that they're not losing ground to other teams. You know, they're, they're, in the, they're doing exactly the things other teams are doing and maybe doing it a little better. I think when you get down to these analytics, one of the things that you have to do is – distill the information into usable bits that you can make decisions with on a moment-to-moment basis. That's the hard part of it. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Throwing it into a computer and reading the spreadsheet as it comes out on a Tuesday, that's great. What about the last ser- two series, what it means for their th- mindset on the other side of the field, and what we're going to do against it in 20 seconds of the play clock? Let's go. That's where... It looks like the Bills have got a handle on using, at least getting a handle on some of the things they're doing. Certainly, we have made comments throughout the McDermott era with Leslie Frazier, Brian Dable, and now Ken Dorsey, and of course, Sean McDermott. The adjustments they are able to make in-game have been crucial in all the success they've enjoyed so far. Analytics are an enormous part of that. Right. And I think if you give the Bills and other teams, like the Browns, the Eagles, some of the others that are mentioned at the top of this scale in this analytic survey, they, they decided it was worth it to put in the hard work to get to a point where the investment in analytics gives them hard and fast, usable data that they can apply to the game, to the draft, to free agency, what have you, that's a hurdle that's hard for some people to clear. Well, how? Oh, you give me these numbers, it's great. How do I use it? Well, let's get together and do the hard work to find right. out how to utilize it, how to make right. use of it. Yeah. And because of that, the Bills, along with a handful of other teams, are at the forefront of the league in this area. And maybe that analytics department will eventually be able to quantify and tell us how much it is helping them. Like, 
Does it make the Bills 5% better on game day? Does it make them 15% better on game day? Because there are other teams in this league that don't use it. Tennessee, New England, they don't subscribe to analytics nearly as much as some of these other teams that we have discussed. Okay, good discussion there. Let's take this analytics discussion into a numbers game involving fourth down decisions, which are probably one of the more visible plays in which analytics play a role in the equation. So, Steve, are you ready here? All right. We tried to keep this, you know, relatively straightforward. So first question for you, Steve, in the numbers game, can you give me three of the top five teams in fourth down conversion rate this season? Who do you think rates highest in converting fourth down three of the top five give me i have have a top five in front of me i need you to give me three of these teams buffalo it is not buffalo they are not in the top five all right tennessee no who's a good team san francisco is not san francisco a little slow out of the block steve wow this is not good. <clears throat> good fourth down team. I would think about teams that go for it a good amount on fourth down. You know, not afraid. Pittsburgh. To. There you go. Pittsburgh is number four. 69.2% conversion rate on fourth down. And they're fourth. I will go Chargers. LA Chargers. Not the Chargers. You're I in, will go... You're in the right city. Right. Uh, I will go Rams. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> 75% conversion rate tied for second in the league. We'll acknowledge that. We need yeah. one more for three of the five. So it's You've got the Pittsburgh, Rams and you've got Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. There's one team at the top of the list you haven't guessed yet, and there's another team tied with the Rams at 75% success rate on fourth down. These are teams that are having successful Chiefs. Seasons. The Chiefs are number one, 80% on fourth down this year. The other two. I think some of that. You got three out of five. Yeah. The other two, Philadelphia, 75%. And you ready for this one? Houston. Well, now, that's because they're going for it a lot. And, because they're and usually the teams are playing soft just to keep them in front of them probably. I, it's interesting, the fourth down going for it, because the Chiefs, and this is where analytics go, kind of go down a rabbit hole, and I don't know how to do it because I'm not a mathematician. But wouldn't it make sense that the Chiefs go for it a lot more and get it a lot more because they have a lot more third and very shorts because they're so good assume, on first and second? You would assume they're fourth down. I mean, they're not are usually fourth and two and under. Right? right. They're not going for it on fourth, fourth and, and five eight. a lot. Yeah. They're not, but even if they do, they get those. You know, some of them. Right. With Kelsey and all those jokers over there. So yeah, I mean, I get it. Um, which is it's kind of disconcerting. You think, well, why doesn't Buffalo? Why doesn't Buffalo high on that? They they ranked 16th. Actually. Yeah, right in the middle of the road. Yeah. yeah. Uh, question number two: What NFL teams have gone for it the most on fourth down this season? Most fourth down attempts to move the sticks. See, this is where I I, I would say again. I would say the Chargers. Chargers are tied for fifth. Twenty-four times they have gone for it. Tied for fifth. Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs actually are not here, so their percentage of 80% success rate may be rooted in the fact that they haven't gone for it a whole lot, but have gotten the handful that they've gone for. So who's gone for them? So uh, you Houston, generally want Houston. To, Houston is, believe it or not, not here. They're wow. not in the top five. All right. Um, 
our buzzer ding guy got a little They're, confused yeah. there. <laughs> Stop it. Um, <laughs> I will say... I would say, to give you a guide on this, I would say think of teams that are desperate in the yes, fourth exactly. quarter, have to come back and Denver. Win. Not Denver. Denver, Chicago. Even, uh, not Chicago, but you're on the right track. New Orleans. <laughs> not New Orleans. <laughs> Jacksonville. Jacksonville, there you go. Tied for third, 26. All right, Bills how many have I got? Where am I at? Where am I got at two. Here, right? I need right. one more All from right. you. Carolina. Not Carolina. Uh, one of the Indianapolis. Two, uh, no, there are two teams. God. There are two teams that the Bills have played recently that are high in fourth down attempts. Um, Jets, and they played these two teams, not the Jets. They played these two teams in the same city. Oh, um, Detroit. Yes, Detroit. and Cleveland. And Cleveland. So Cleveland has gone for it on fourth down twenty-nine times, and Detroit <clears throat> has gone for it twenty-six times. You know, once the one team that has gone, the team that leads the league in fourth down go for it attempts the Arizona Cardinals. They're usually behind right. in most of their games. I'll say this. This numbers game thing we do with Bills by the numbers, every, it's either feast or famine. Either yeah. I'm like, like boom, 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 got them all, That's or right. I am like... I thought, I, I mean, it's a little, this is a little arbitrary in the grand scheme of things, but here's your third question. Which teams are the least successful at converting on fourth down this season? Least successful, talking about conversion rate only. I will say Green Bay. Green Bay, good guess, Steve. 6 of 21, 28.6% success rate. That's second worst in football. There's only one team worse than them. Um, Think about, well, it's kind of a mixed bag. There are yeah. some, most of these teams struggle on offense, but there is one juggernaut on offense who actually leads the league in a horrible fourth down conversion rate. Cincinnati. It's Cincinnati. They are 2 for 10. Two for ten, 20% on fourth down. Hmm. Good guess. Two for two out of the gate here, Steve. Right. Can you get a third for me? I will say Vegas. Not Las Vegas. I'm, like, throwing darts here. That's right. And wh- what am I doing? Least, Least successful at converting third, fourth down. So I will say the Dallas Cowboys. It is not the Dallas Cowboys. The Giants. Giants are on there. Fourth. Four for 11. The other two teams in the top five, New England, third at 33%, three for nine. The Giants were four for 11, as I mentioned. And then New Orleans at 37.5%. They are three for eight on the season. So That's all the fourth downs people are going for. That's like less than one a game, isn't it? It is. Now, Green Bay is an exception. They're right. six for 21. They're going for Bro, all the time. six for 21. <laughs> Good Lord. You got to do better. Uh, I already gave you this answer where you believe the Bills ranked in fourth down conversion percentage. They are 16th. They are an even 50% this year. Mm. Six for 12. Their 12 attempts on the season ranks 23rd. So they haven't gone for it a whole lot. Is not 50% usually the median, what is the expected get for those? You know what? I'd have to look. fourth and or something like I'd have to check. I want to say it's right around 52% the last time I looked, but it's probably yeah, changed. It's, it's a coin flip, basically, yeah. is what you're doing. And that's why that's why a lot of people, you know, like going for two when they have to, because it's usually around it's a coin flip. Yeah, 52% success yeah. rate. All right, good job in the numbers game, Steve. We move along to our guest this week. He's covered the Jets for decades. It's ESPN.com. Jets beat reporter Rich Samini, who joins us now. 
All right, Rich, so it's the rematch this weekend, and I know the Jets are coming off a tough one, had multiple chances to win that game against the Vikings. What would you say the vibe is like knowing they've got a monumental division game here against the Bills on the road again? Yeah, I, I think the mood around the team is pretty upbeat. Um, you know, they, they obviously had that frustrating loss last week. They were one for six in the red zone. They just had so many chances. But I think the way they came back in the second half, they were down 20-3, to three, had a shot to win. I think that instilled a lot of confidence in them. And also, they have a, a quarterback who really has the command of the locker room right now in Mike White. And I think there's a lot of confidence in him. So going into this game, I, I think the Jets are, are fairly healthy from what I can gather, and I think they're pretty confident. They've got to feel good about Mike White, no question. Even from out here in Buffalo, we can kind of have kind of kept track of the narrative around the quarterback position in New York. But this team is really driven by the roster more so than who's taken snaps because you know they had a co- rookie quarterback to begin with, so they're trying to bring him along and now making the switch. The same thing is true. It's their defensive front. And that wide receiving core, which has really emerged as being something really special, give us your idea of what what the engine that drives both sides of the ball for the Jets. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, in this system, and, and it's basically like the 49ers. It's you know schematically and philosophically, the quarterback really doesn't have to be the star. You know, it's the system that is the star, and uh, so that's. What they were hoping to get out of Zach Wilson was just, you know, steady, competent quarterback play, but he had a couple of really bad games. They both happened to be against the Patriots, and he got benched. You know, his probably his best game all year was when they beat the Bills at MetLife. That was, you know, probably the best we've seen Zach, but then the following game, he goes out and just lays an egg against New England. So, yeah, it's it's the system that is the star. They they want to run the ball. They they and since the last Buffalo game, they discovered a new running back. You know, rookie Bam Knight, an undrafted guy from North Carolina State. He's he's probably going to be the starter on Sunday. He's doing really well. And then defensively, it's it's all about the front four. That is the engine that drives the defense. And when I say front four, it's really like the front ten. They, they dress 10 guys, 10 defensive linemen, which is really unheard of in the NFL, and they rotate all those guys, and it's been very effective. So those are the, the areas that really are the keys to the Jets' success. Rich, uh, an interesting number that kind of pops out on the season stat sheet is the scoring differential in the fourth quarter for the Jets. Now, this might be a byproduct from earlier in the season when you know they were down and have to come back late in games. But 94 to 40, I mean, that's a 54% point differential in the final quarter of play. And I realize they've been slightly outscored in the previous three quarters through the course of the season. But is there any read that you have on why that number is as lopsided as it is? Yeah, it's a great point. They're actually, they lead the league in fourth quarter point differential. And so, yeah, I mean, it's been kind of one of the keys to their success. I think in five out of their seven wins, the games were basically decided in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, a couple of you know, good halftime adjustments, I think, is a big reason. I think roster depth has a lot to do with it, you know, keeping players fresh into the fourth quarter. And I'll go right back to that defensive line rotation. It's, uh, you know, we were, I was even, I was, I have to admit, I was critical of it early in the year. I'm like, well, why are you playing Quentin Williams only 60% of the downs? And, you know, I think the fans were a little up in arms, too. But you could kind of see the, the reason behind it now. They get better in the fourth quarter. 
I think it keeps the guys fresher, and that's one of the reasons why they've been able to. And they and they do run the ball better in the fourth quarter. I think the ability to wear teams down in the fourth quarter is a big reason why that point differential is where it is. Give us an idea about the the you know the philosophy of Mike Lafleur. You said it's the the kind of stars the system kind of stars and kind of takes the pressure off the quarterback. Um, and it, it looked like the Jets were going to have a meteoric rise until Brees Hall went down because he was going to be the that running back that could really carry the offense. And then when he went away, as you said, it took him a while to find Zonovan Knight um, to replace him. But Mike LaFleur, this offense, how what kind of adjustments in-game have they been able to make? Have, has that been an issue that's maybe been limited by their quarterback switching around or the youth of their quarterback? Uh, but to give us a little insight as to Mike LaFleur and how he's handled this young offense. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he takes a lot of heat for his play calling. I, I think I think probably every offensive coordinator gets uh, second-guessed by the fans and the media for some of the play calls. But I think he's done a pretty good job considering all the moving parts that they've had. They've started nine different uh, offensive linemen this year. They've started six different tackles. Because of injuries, it's it's really been a like a revolving door. And you're right, the Brees Hall injury was crushing because he was on his way to a, a terrific year. And got to be honest, you know their running game kind of dipped down there for a while. I mean, it wasn't very effective. They tried going with Michael Carter and, and Ty Johnson, and just a couple of weeks ago they got Bam Knight into the rotation. But it is not what it was with Brees Hall. There is no question about that. But they still like to use play action. I think he calls a more aggressive game with Mike White at quarterback than Zach Wilson. With Zach at quarterback, it was like they were playing not to lose. It was the classic, okay, let's keep the training wheels on the young quarterback. We don't want to do anything to put him in harm's way. And it just led to the, you know, it was really hard to watch at times on offense. But with Mike White, even though he's had only five career starts, I think LaFleur trusts him more. I think he allows them to throw the ball downfield more. They're a little more uh, pass-reliant. You saw it last week against Minnesota. They had a 2-to-1 pass ratio in the first half. And so there's a lot more trust in Mike White, and I think that's one of the adjustments that uh, Michael LaFleur has made. Last one I've got for you, Rich. One of your ESPN colleagues in the Stats and Information Department put out that annual survey on how invested teams are in analytics and applying it to their football department. I don't know if you have any insight on this because a lot of teams kind of keep it hush-hush for fear of leaking out of some competitive advantage they've come across. But any sense as to how much Robert Sala you know, and Joe Douglas incorporate analytics into their draft process, their free agency process, and their game day decision-making process? Yeah, I love this question. Uh, yeah, it is definitely uh... – yeah, it, they are. I wouldn't say they're like in the top of the league in terms of reliance on it, but they definitely do it a lot. Uh, I know Sala and his weekly game plans is uh, heavily invested in it. Um, I've, I've, he's been in press conferences where he has quoted, uh, you know, someone's get off time or, you know, something like, you know, out of the ordinary, out of the box, all of a sudden he'll pop out with someone's pressure rate. And so you know he's paying attention to it. Just yesterday he was talking about Bam Knight, and Bam, you know, supposedly, you know, he didn't run a great 40 at the Combine. That's the reason why he didn't get drafted. And so, but on his 48-yard run last week, you know, Sala quoted the GPS metric 
uh, on what his actual speed was, like the miles per hour. So they definitely use it. I, I've seen video that they've posted from their draft meetings, you know, for their in-house, um, you know, video team. And they're talking about analytics in the draft room, you know, so-and-so does this, does that, you know. So they have an analytics grade for each, each prospect, and they also have a scouting grade. So the Jets are, are very heavily involved in it. Rich, thanks so much for spending some time with you. Appreciate you, and I hope we cross paths soon. All right, guys, appreciate it. Have a good one on Sunday. Thank you. Time now to give you a chance to win a million dollars, and you can do so with FanDuel's free pick-em-style game, high-low. Pick teams for four different stat categories that you think will score the highest or the lowest for the week. The more you get right, the more you can win. Get them all correct, and you can take home a million dollars. Just go to FanDuel.com slash high-low to play. That's H-I-L-O. I'll start with high for points this week, Steve. It's hard not to like the Cowboys facing a Texans team that is already running for the bus. Dallas sometimes plays down to their level of competition, but I see them running it up against Houston on points. Low for points, I don't know how you you avoid riding with the Broncos. Lowest scoring team in football, it rarely has anything to do with their opponent. So they are broken as an offense. I think we can confirm that. So Denver... Low for points. Me, I'm taking high for passing yards. <clears throat> Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, that receiving core is healthy. They're back, and they are playing at a high level, and the Browns don't have enough defensive backs to cover all these guys. They're going to be spread too thin in the secondary. So Cincinnati for the high for passing yards. For the low for passing yards, your New York football giants. They're playing the Eagles. Saquon is going to make the engine of the Giants' offense go. They're not going to throw it around the yard against the Eagles. Uh, so I think it's the Daniel Jones-led football Giants low for passing yards. Okay, high for rushing yards. I'm taking the same game, Steve. I'm taking the Eagles to rumble for a lot of yards on the ground against the Giants. New York is 26th in the league at stopping the run, and the Eagles are a top-five rushing team. Low for rushing yards, I'm taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, facing a top-ranked 49ers defense, which is also tops in run defense. I just don't see the Bucks doing much on the ground. All right. Last one high for sacks for me. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys against the Texans. The Texans are an atrocity offensively, and Dallas is a juggernaut on defense. They're going to they're gonna be in the lap of Davis Mills all day. That's the high for sacks. The Cowboys might get a bunch. Low for sacks, I'm taking the L.A. Chargers. Tua gets the ball out fast. They're playing the Dolphins at home. They're going to – yeah, Dua gets the ball out so fast. He doesn't take sacks. Uh, Mike McDonald down in, in in Miami makes sure he takes care of Tua. And even the Niners had trouble getting them against him last week. So the uh, Chargers low for sacks. All right, that is NFL high-low for Week 14. Time for our closing figure. The Bills need 324 total net yards on offense in Week 14 to set a new club record for the most yards gained through their first 13 games. It would give them 5,236 on the season, surpassing the record, which is 5,235, set back in 1991, Steve. That was a good group back then. (laughs) The Bills do not have a game this season in which they have gained fewer than 315 yards. Their low this season was 317, came in Week 9 against 
the Jets. That'll do it for this episode. Be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform so you're notified when our next edition is available. And remember, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. We'll catch you next week, everybody! Everybody!